While you're there, go ahead and turn your Bible to Second Samuel chapter seven. Uh, so yeah, I you know I, I want to just thank all of you. I want to thank all of my supporters. I want to thank all of you who are supporting us on Patreon. All of you who are uh, donating or committing to that $10 a month commitment. That commitment is going to open doors for us to be able to create new content, to spend more time focusing on equipping and training and teaching and and to create more content as it pertains to Bible studies. Uh, I've been thinking about creating content, maybe just, just study content. And I've also... Um, I've been ruminating over whether or not I'm going to also just do live Bible studies, just live Zoom Bible study sessions. So I want to do that with those who've really committed to supporting what we're doing. And so, guys, I thank you so much. Now, the Read and Rant podcast, um, the Read and Rants that we do here, that's not changing. We're going to keep doing that. My passion is to see you guys journey with me through scripture. Uh, but for those of you who want to support and want to dive a little bit deeper, um, um, I truly appreciate your support because it's giving me the possibility and the facility to be able to commit to doing that with you guys. And so, guys, where I believe we're 70 percent towards our first goal, which would give me uh, the resource to be able to do Bible study once a month. And then uh, the second threshold, once we have enough patrons who come in, the second threshold will be I'll be doing a weekly Bible study. We're going to sit down. We're just going to study through scripture if it's uh, Revelation or if it's uh, Genesis or if it's a study on a particular topic, we'll have topics. And I'll even allow you guys to tell me what topics you want me to cover. Um, can you do a one time? Yeah, I mean, it's possible to do a one time as well. But on Patreon, it's a monthly commitment. Uh, Mama Stu. So, but if you'd like to just donate, that's that I'd appreciate that as well. But, um, but yeah, that's something that we're just praying about. We're praying to have people who will partner with us in this mission, who will partner with us in that monthly commitment. It'll give us the certainty of being able to commit to this mission moving forward. And so I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited. Ooh, the book of Daniel, the mystical book of Daniel. Anita, again, like these are things that I know, I know a lot of people. I have a lot of questions. Uh, and they, you know, they, they, they want to know more about what the Bible is teaching, what the Bible is actually saying. And so if I can contribute in any way and helping you uh, understand the scripture, then praise God. Now, this is a time of meditation. So this isn't specifically a Bible study, but this is a time of just reflection and meditation. And yes, we're reading through scripture. So there's a little bit of a study element to it. Uh, but the, what we do here is we just spend 20 to 30 minutes reading the word. We spend another 20 to 30 minutes reflecting. And so today I may spend a few more, uh, few, a, f a little bit less time, but either way, I, I want us to spend some time in the word. Um, actually, we're in, yeah, we're in Second Samuel chapter 10, actually. And so go ahead and turn your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 10. Um, I saw someone ask, how can I believe? How do you believe? Um you can you believe with the help of the Holy Spirit. There's some people who are dealing with unbelief who are in this group. And I'll say this to you. Um, first of all, you've already made a huge step forward in simply opening yourself up to hear what the word says. That's that's a big step forward. And that's already a step in faith. I want to say that. I don't know why I feel inclined to say this. And I don't know why I'm going in this direction right now. But here I am getting off a plane after an eight hour flight and eight hour red eight hour red eye flight and i'm coming here to tell those of you right now who are struggling with faith who actually don't believe 
and who are here and some of you have been here on the regular i want to let you know right now that that's already a step of faith that that's you've already taken a step of faith um you've already made a step forward in faith uh you're trusting me that's faith uh you're trusting the moment and what's happening in the moment that's faith um there's no certainty that you're going to get anything out of this and there's no certainty that you're going to come out of this believing anything and yet in the midst of that uncertainty you're here isn't that powerful that you're already a person of faith by simply being here um and so if you're asking the question how do you believe I don't know why I'm inclined to just share this right now because I just feel a burden right now in this moment to share it. But there are those of you who are really struggling with that idea of belief. How do I believe? How do I believe? Um, I'm going to say this, that uh, this may be a word of encouragement or discouragement, but I hope it's more encouragement than discouragement. Um, you can only believe with the help of God. Uh, you can only believe with the help of God. And what I mean by that is, is that even as we read this stuff, all this material and all this understanding and maybe clarity and maybe you, you're now learning about maybe things that were taught at your church that weren't really scriptural. They just kind of just taught it and it wasn't biblical. And now you're getting more clarity on maybe where the church might have hurt you or where the church was wrong and how they discipled you and taught you. And and now you're on the other side of it. And you don't believe in your person without faith. You're, you're, you're saying you're either an agnostic or you're an atheist. Um, you're, you're against the church, but you're kind of curious to see what, you know, what's happening here. I just want you to know this, that it's it's all it's only the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, only God can do that and God can do that. And so what I would ask those who are struggling with faith, take one more step of faith. I'm not saying you need to believe in everything that we're reading about and that you need to believe in Jesus. I'm not even, I'm not even pushing you there. I'm going to ask you to take one more step of faith. I want you to do as the man who asked Jesus to heal his daughter did. He said, Help me with my unbelief. Help me with my unbelief. And you know what? That's my that's a step of faith you're just going to have to make and say, Lord, I need you to reveal yourself to me. Lord, I need you to help me with my unbelief because here's the reality. The reality is, is no matter how much I dissect this and no matter how much I give a defense for the scripture, no matter how much I can prove this scripture, to be one of, 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 of authenticity and of value and of usefulness and of truth, even, after, even in the end of all of that, that, that won't lead you to faith. Proving scripture or being able to defend the scripture well won't make you a person of faith. Only God can do that. Okay, only God. It's a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. And so if you're struggling with faith right now, um, don't be ashamed. I'm glad you asked the question. How do you believe? Um, the only way to believe is with God's help. And so I'm just asking you, just to say, hey, you know, and if you're not ready to do that yet, that's fine. Just sit. We're going to keep reading together. But if you are saying, hey, you know what? I don't believe. I'm just not there. I just, I'm just not there. I don't know how to believe. Just say, hey, God, 
if you're there, help me with my unbelief. If you're there, help me with my unbelief. And God may blow your mind. Anyway, um, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Um, Father, I just ask that you would be with us as we engage in your word, Lord, in these moments. I just pray that you would uh, lead us in your word, show us the truth of your word, reveal your grace in your word, reveal the truth in your word, reveal your character and who you are in your word. And I ask that in your name, we pray. Amen. Um, Oh, wow. What if you believe and feel far away? Man, I got to do it. I, see, this is why becoming a patron is so important, because then it allows me the opportunity to find more time to do these things, because I would love to minister into that. I feel like there's a, a need to go beyond scripture and just to work with you guys and help work you through some of these challenges. Um, um, this is a season of revival. I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to read. I'm going to get there. But I just, I just want you to know that the, the Lord is doing something new. I'm finding now more conversations with people who are, who've grown up in church or who said that they were Christian or who, who still affirm that they're Christian, who have been baptized. They know church. They know church culture. They know all of that. But now they're struggling with belief. And when I say believe, not believing in Jesus, but actually having an experience with him. Like, like an experience with Jesus. To know he's here, he's with you, he's in you, he's working through you, he's moving through you. And I'm finding more and more people now are becoming aware of their lack of faith and their distance from God, that feeling of far away that you're talking about, Gary, that feeling of being far away is actually an issue of faith. And yet the Lord is doing this, not just to you, but he's doing it to the whole body. You know, what we call that, we call that a revival. We call that an awakening, y'all. The Lord is waking people up from their slumber. You know, it's one thing when people kind of just go to church, they come in and out of church, they're spiritually dead, but they're going to church. They're spiritually dead, but they're good church people. They're church folks, but they're not really disciples. And so there they are doing the church thing every Sunday, but all God sees is a bunch of corpses walking in, the walking dead walking in, and the walking dead leaving. But it's interesting how in uh, the it's interesting, the imagery in Ephesians chapter 2, when he says, and he has quickened us together in him. He had quickened us. The word quickened there is literally like a defibrillator. Oof. Waking us up together. So the scriptures say, together in him. And I just believe that the Lord is doing something corporately. Um, Gary, you're part of a, a, a revival that's happening where people are awakening and realizing, whoa, I'm not as close as I need to be. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I need to be. 
And there's the opportunity. So you're woke enough to know that you're distant. And that alone is revival. Anyway, that's a word of encouragement. I don't know where where all this is coming from, but it's just where the Lord is leading me today. I just got off a plane, y'all. I just got off a plane, man. Just work with me, y'all. Work with me. Um, let's go ahead and read 2 Samuel chapter 10. And we'll probably read just two chapters. <sighs> Maybe chapter 12, because that's where it gets really saucy. Uh, or maybe not. We'll see. Uh, let's see where the Lord leads. Second uh, Samuel chapter 10. Let's get our Bibles. Let's go. And it happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died. And Hanan his son reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan the son of Nahash. As his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by his hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan, their Lord, do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out and overthrow it? Therefore, Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half of their heads, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks and sent them away. When they took David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. When the people Ammon, when the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zoba, 20,000 foot soldiers and from the king of Makkah, 1,000 men from Ishtab, 12,000 men. Now when David heard it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah, Bethrahab, Ishtab, and Makkah were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. Then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come to help you. Be of good courage. And let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians. And they fled before him. When the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were, were fleeing, they also fled Abishai and entered the city. So Joab entered from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. When the Syrians saw that they had been defeated Israel, they gathered together. Then Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobach, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before them. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel and David killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 
horsemen of the Syrians, struck Shobak, the commander of the army who died there. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. Second Samuel 11. It happened in the spring of the, of the year that, sorry, let me, let me, let me go back, uh, chapter 11. And it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for he was, for, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Then when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and the gift and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives? I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. And when David called him, he ate and drank and before him and he made him drunk. At evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants. Lie, sorry, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, and he did not go down to his house. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by hand of by the hand of Uriah. And he told him the letter, saying, "Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die." So it was. While Joab besieged the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew they were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling me the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast 
a piece of millstone on him from a wall so that he died in Tebez? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field when we drove back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall of the servants and some of the servants, the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. And David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you. For the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Ah. Thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Let me read 12. Then the Lord said to Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of its own food and drank from its own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And the traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to repair one for wayfaring men who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this surely shall die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. <laughs> you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if you had been too little, I would have also given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will Take your wives before your own eyes and give them to your neighbors and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sins. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have 
great, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child who was born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed from his house and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. And on the seventh day it came to pass that that child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house. When he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. And when the child died, you arose and ate food. There's so much here. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who can Tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. Now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the people of Ammon and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and I have taken the city's water supply. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it. Lest I take the city and it be gathered after my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah, fought against it and took it. Then he took the king's crown from his head. Its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones. And it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them cross over with brickworks. So he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So much here to unpack. As a matter of fact, there's so much here to unpack that just these chapters alone that we just read, 10 through uh, 10 through 12, those chapters alone would be maybe a whole week of just studying because there's so much to unpack there. Um, I saw someone ask the question, how, how can they join Patreon or it, will it ever be too late to join Patreon? Uh, I just want to say a heads up. It will never be a, too late to become a patron. That platform will always be available. Again, like I said, um, 
your donation and your support of the ministry and what we're doing here, not only does it encourage me, it gives me now the capacity to be able to expand my effort moving forward, to really focus and devote my time to not just doing the read and rants in the morning, but then to cultivate a community and also to create more content and have more time to do other things like Bible study and even writing um, maybe Bible study books, like little booklets and things like that. These are things that I'm envisioning as we continue to expand what we're doing here moving forward. So your giving gives me the possibility of being able to step into that. Whether you give or not, this doesn't change. What we're doing here will not change, okay? I'm not changing any of this. We're going to be every morning. We're going to keep reading and ranting, okay? That's not going to stop because my passion is to see every person read through the whole Bible. Because if you can read through the scriptures and learn how to meditate through your reading, it will empower you. It will change your life. It will transform you. So that's my desire for you. Uh, but if you do want to know, someone was asking, can it ever be too late? It is never too late to be a patron, okay? You can you can come on at any time. Um, you can jump on at any time. So it's never too late to do it. And if you wanna know how to become a patron, just click the link in the bio. If you click the link in the bio, you'll see how you can uh, you can become a patron. Okay, it's a minimum of $10, $10 a month. Uh, but with that commitment, that, that changes everything for us. If we have enough people coming together to do that, it changes everything for us and what we're doing moving forward. And I'm grateful that we're already, we're, we're almost 70% on our first tier, uh, our first mark, our first goal. So man, you guys are amazing. You guys are incredible. Um, also, it's on, on the Patreon app that I, it's a lot easier to, you know, uh, minister to like a few hundred people than the you know 400,000 people on TikTok. There's no, just no way I can respond to you guys there. No way I can really cultivate there. And now IG is getting hard because I think I'm getting somewhere closer to 30,000 followers on IG now. So it's just hard because I get all these messages. You guys flood me with messages and I want to, my desire would be to, to remain connected with you guys, but it's, it's, it's nearly impossible. But I love that a platform like Patreon really brings people who are committed to what we're doing. And it brings us closer where now I can interact a little bit more. I get to know you guys a little bit more on a personal level. So that's really cool. And then the other benefit of it as well is that um, what we're going to be, be doing starting the, uh, <laughs> my husband would freak out about a monthly baby. I understand. I completely understand. But by the way, you don't, you can stay here. Okay. You don't have to give. So I know some people are uncomfortable with that and that's fine. That's completely fine. Uh, but I was going to say that for those who, who are, on Patreon, you know, we're, we post a podcast where we're actually, this is being recorded. What we're doing right now is actually being recorded and it's going to be posted on the podcast. But usually, um, given the schedule of Monday, Wednesday and Friday now that it posts on the Read and Rant podcast, which, by the way, there are over 12,000 of you now who have downloaded it and it's growing. So I love that. It's amazing that that's happening um, in the two, the two and a half months that we've been doing it. So that's amazing. Um, but what we post on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so because we do the reading rant almost every day, that means that some of the reading rants you don't get, like today's reading rant, you might not get for another month from now because of the schedule that we're posting the content. And so, uh, but if you are a patron, what I'm going to start doing on Monday is, is that the, the reading rant that you hear on that same day will be available to you as well. So you can listen to it and, and download it and be able to, um, 
um, to catch up or maybe you, you had a question or something you were working through or something you needed repeated, you can catch it there on the Patreon as well. So anyway, with that being said, I, I, I don't have the time, right? To, that's afforded. I'm just not afforded the time. I don't have the luxury of being able to go through uh, in detail what's happening in 10, 11, and 12. But there's one thing that that the Lord is is uh, impressing upon me today. And I, I want to impress it upon you. I'm not going to go through the whole dissertation of where David fits in the story of the Bible. Go back and look at the other episodes of the Reading Rant. You've heard me say it over and over and over again. Um, and I'm, you're going to hear me say it over and iterate it over, over and over and over again. But today I want to dig in a little bit deeper as to what's happening here. David has risen into power. David is going on exploits and he's, he's conquering towns and cities. David is, is succeeding as a king. You can say he's expanding the territory. He's, he's succeeding as a king. He's unified Israel, unified Israel and Judah. Now he sits as king over it. It would be the fulfillment of the prophecy and the anointing. It's all coming together now that the story of God is continuing through David. The story of what God is doing for all humanity is continuing to, through David. And we see David, who's risen into power. We find David here, and we notice that there are implications for what David is doing. We talked about this yesterday, that the implications of, of David's rule was not just in this moment, but it was for all eternity. That there was a spiritual dimension as much as there was a political dimension, but more so a spiritual dimension because God was writing a story through David. We see a pointing to a king that was to come, a, a Messiah that is to come. We begin to see now a tension being formed in the, in the story. Remember, we talked about this, that this is a history book. And yet we see in this history things that are being highlighted, that, that, that there's a tension that is being formed here, that while David is king, this isn't the end of it. This isn't it. David is contributing to something that is to come. There's something to come. And so David is blessed because of this. He's blessed because of his humility and his submission to the will of God. God is using David to execute his righteousness and justice to restore and redeem humanity. But here's my thing. Here's my thing. Is we see David, this man who's after God's own heart. And even after this, we see this moral failure of David immediately after this promise of this Messiah that is to come. Huh. And we see, right, David is, he, he's in battle, they're in, he's, he's, He's maintaining the territory that he's been given. Not only is he maintaining the territory, but he's expanding the territory. His men are in battle. This man is fighting. And then he goes and he takes a break. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, the scriptures say, 
it happened, look at verse one, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. The beginning of the moral decline of David is his misalignment with God's will and his calling. There was a misalignment between what he was anointed to do and what he's actually doing. And through this misalignment now, we begin to see a decline. It was because he wasn't out in battle that he sees Bathsheba, this beautiful woman, and he sees this beautiful woman, he brings her into the house. He brings her into the house and he assaults her. That's right. He assaults her. Um, he, he, he assaults her, forces himself, and upon forcing himself, because he's a king, get what he wants he forces himself I know we have kids who are probably watching this so you know what that means and gets her pregnant he gets her pregnant he assaults this woman and gets her pregnant he calls her into his his kingdom his his, his his house, his home, and he assaults her and he gets her pregnant. Wow. And all this started because he was in misalignment. Yes, a lot of people never thought of it as assault. People sometimes often think of it, and of course, this is there's no theological consensus for this, but when you read the text, uh, what you get is a sense, just by implication, that it was assault based on the nature of the, the diction. Uh, then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity and returned to her house. We'll do a Bible study another day, but those very words, by implication, are implying that it was forced. And of course it was, because he's a king. There's nothing that she could have done. He called for her. She brought him in. And by the language in the text, if you read that verse again, verse 4, then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Um cleaned her up, sent her back home. He got what he wanted and sent her back. They had no intention. You have to understand, in those days, um, kings had concubines. He took her. She, she had no choice. This is what was going to happen. And then he sent her back. Because David knew what he did was out of order. David knew that. David knew in that moment that he sinned. How do we know that? Because once she got pregnant, he could have just brought her home and exercised his power as king. But he took a man's wife and he slept with her. This man who's been called by God. This man who's been called by God took what wasn't his 
exercises power over this particular woman, impressed his power on this woman, got this woman pregnant. You know, we don't talk about Bathsheba enough, and we're going to get later on down the line, you're going to see, you're going to see, uh, why there's more implication to this. So I'm not going to spend too much time on that because that's not, not my point today. But I do want you to think about that for a moment, right? That this, this, this woman, I mean, we talk about David all the time, but what about Bathsheba? What about her? She gets stuck in this story. She's the one who was put in a difficult spot. She was the one who was assaulted. And she was the one who paid the price by getting pregnant. In the end, she lost the husband that she loved. Because the scriptures tell us that when Uriah died, she mourned her husband. She didn't want David. She wanted Uriah. Uriah was the man that she loved, not David. Bathsheba is in a tough spot. Now, here's the thing, and I know we just read the story and, and, and we see what's happening here, is that God has a promise on David. God's going to use David because God has a plan and he's going to institute that plan through David. He's already made that promise. That word is on him. However, just because God is using David, and just because he's a man after God's own heart, it does not mean that David is, by implication, perfect, one. And by implication, if David commits sin, there's always going to be a consequence to it. Sin comes with its consequences. David's going to do this, and he's going to do this secretly. But there are consequences to this. He, he doesn't get to do this and walk away from it. And here's what's really interesting about this as well. If you just allow me, I'm just ranting, y'all. I don't, I don't have, I, you know, I'm not here to, to do a whole theological discourse. I'm just, I'm working this out with you guys. So you guys can see a few things here as we read this scripture is David commits an egregious sin. But he's committing a sin that most kings would commit. He's committing a sin that most kings in that era would commit and get away with. But in this scripture, Nathan shows up and Nathan puts him out. Nathan shares the story. We just read it. So I don't want to go back to it, but I, I want to, because we just don't have the time. So I want to make sure y'all getting where I'm at. So Nathan then tells David what he did, calls him out for it to let him know that God sees it. David doesn't get to get away with what most people in his time at his position would get away with. You know, I've always found this to be true with people that God has called is that there's some stuff that you're not going to get away with 
because you are a child of God. There are some things in your life that you can commit in darkness and you're going to pay the price that nobody else pays because of God's grace over your life. It's actually the love of God that caused you to get pregnant before you wanted to. All your other friends did the same things, but you got pregnant. And some of us can look at that and say, that's unfair. There are those of us who've, who've, who've committed the same sins as others who've around, who are around us, and yet we find ourselves exposed for it. And we go, man, that just seems unfair. What if I told you that it's not that it was unfair, it's the grace of God that puts you out. God loved you enough to expose what you've done. And he loves you enough to expose what you've done in order to protect you for the future. Actually, his exposing you was his saving you. Oh my goodness. I don't have enough time to unpack all of this. His exposing you actually saved you. We sometimes read this and, and maybe I'm going to illuminate you to something that maybe you've never seen before, but hopefully maybe you'll see it this time. But there are many of us when we read it, we just simply see that, well, Nathan put David out. Back up for one moment. Can we talk a little bit of our, about our proclivity towards covering up and trying to fix the sins that we commit? Whenever someone says, I'm trying to fix the mistakes that I made, I'm trying to make it right. Whenever someone is trying to make it right, that person who's trying to make it right, first of all, has not fully accepted the righteousness and the grace of God. They still have a self-righteousness in them that seeks. When they say they're trying to fix it, that's not what they're trying to do. Most people, when they're trying to fix the mistake that they made, what they're trying to do is they're trying to mitigate the exposure of the consequence of that sin. When you cheat on your, you know, girlfriend or your boyfriend or you have an affair with someone else and all of a sudden things go awry, usually you're trying to fix it. But what, that's not what you're trying to do, actually. You're trying to cover up what you did because you know the hurt that it will cause. So essentially, trying to fix it is actually trying to cover up to change what you look like. It's prideful. People who try to fix the mistakes that they've made without coming to open recognition of the consequences of the mistakes that they make are people who have a level of pride that leads them to death. And it's in trying to fix it that you actually cause more death. It's, it's Adam and Eve sowing the, 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 the leaves of the tree. 
when Adam sinned, Adam didn't come to God, Adam hid from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't go to God boldly with the mistake that they made and with the sins that they committed to repent. No, what they did was, is they ran and hid and they covered themselves up. The one thing that sin does is sin leads to shame. Can I tell you something right now that shame is not of God? Shame is actually pride. Ooh, how much time do I have? I got 10 minutes. Shame is actually pride. Somebody might say, wait, how's how shame pride? How is shame pride? I, I don't understand. Shame is how you see yourself, not what it actually is. Shame is your perception of yourself based on for what you have done. Shame is you projecting how you see yourself through the lens of other people. Shame is an image of yourself. It's a world you've created in your mind for yourself. So you've created the sense of self. And because you committed this, you don't like how it looks through, through to other people through your lens. You create a sense of self. And that sense of self now doesn't look like what you believe now people see because of the thing that you did. That's shame. Shame is not of God. God actually didn't come to remove your shame. <laughs> he didn't come to get rid of your shame. He came to get rid of your guilt. Guilt is what it actually is. Shame is what you make it into. Shame leads to more destruction, more separation, and more division. Shame is what drew Adam away from God. Shame is what made Adam leave the presence of God. Remember, God did not leave Adam when Adam sinned. Go back to the scripture in Genesis chapter 3. God came to Adam and he said to Adam, where are you? Adam was running from God. God was not kicking Adam out. Adam separated from God. God didn't separate himself from Adam. Sin caused shame, which caused the separation. And that's why sin separates. Shame is the mechanism that separates man from God and man from each other. And the, the, the toxicity of shame in relationships and with people and in the world, family, shame is the beginning of all sins. Because what shame does is shame inclines you to cover up what you have done. Have you ever noticed that there are people who actually don't feel bad about what they've done until it's been exposed to other people? Meaning, they did not actually acknowledge the guilt. They just hate how they look in front of other people because of the things that they've done. That might be you. It's prideful. Shame is something you have to actually repent from because it is not of God. Wow. I'm going to get into some trouble today. <laughs> um, there are people who actually do not feel bad. I did not feel bad about my affair until I saw that it hurt my husband. I did not feel bad about cheating my business partner until I saw what it did to my business partner. I didn't feel bad up until I saw the consequence of it. Shame 
is not of God, shame is of the devil. So then, most people operate on shame. And what shame does is shame makes you cover up. That's what shame does. Shame does not lead you to, to, to healing. It doesn't lead you to breakthrough. It doesn't lead you to Christ. Shame doesn't even lead you to Jesus. You know that? Shame does not lead you to Jesus. Let me say that one more time. And that's why I have a problem. Oh, I'm ranting now. I'm in full-blown rant. Um, um, shame does not lead you to Jesus. And the problem with a lot of churches is they want to shame people into Jesus. And you cannot shame people into Jesus because shame won't draw someone to the presence of God. Shame will draw someone to compliance, to culture and how people see them. That's why shame driven churches tend to be cultish because the people are looking to look good to the other people around them. They don't care about what they look like before God, as long as I look this way around people. And so shame-driven churches are really simply cultural cults that look to align to a certain type of, 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 of demographic, cultural context, cultural purview, a way of seeing things. And so as a consequence, people are never really transformed in these shame-driven cultures. Shame never sets anyone free, and shame never brings anyone to Jesus, ever. I don't care what you say. Shame makes you cover up. Shame will make you change the way. See, a shame-driven church will allow people, people will be okay with self-righteousness. They're okay with sinning in the dark and being a crappy person in the dark, but being a good Christian person, a nice, holy, religious person in the light. Shame will make a person who's dealing with a sin struggle push their power on a person who the same sin struggle that they're struggling with gets exposed. Have you ever noticed? And I've always said this, when you see someone come at you with a sin struggle in your life and they just come at you hard, preachers who preach a certain way about a certain sin, usually the sin that they're preaching about, that they feel so passionate and adamant about is the same sin that they're struggling with. Except the difference is yours got exposed in the light. Theirs got exposed in the dark. You want proof? David did exactly this. Nathan comes to David. Nathan gives him the story. David gets upset. The scriptures tell us right here. It says, uh, where is it? 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 In, in, um, in chapter 12, David, it says verse 5. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. He's talking about David. But, oh, he's upset. David is upset. He says, he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. How could this man do this very thing? Isn't it funny how people are so passionate against sins that they're struggling with in the dark? Yeah, that's right. That pastor... I, I feel some type of way. I'm just going to throw it out. I'm sorry. This is going to get some people upset. It's going to get some people hot. It's going to get some people feeling some type of way. But here I am ranting, and this ranting is going to get me in trouble. Whatever. I don't care. But I've seen, I've been to churches where I've seen pastors 
preach against the LGBTQ community in a way without love, but with this sort of indignation and this anger and this vitriol and they preach and they're, they're preaching on there's no love in the preaching they're just mm, they're just snapping and snapping and snapping and usually when i see that i'm sitting there going i wonder what he's struggling with i just i just have an inclination why is he so passionate about this thing huh huh or when people preach about a certain thing or, or about this thing or about that thing and they're preaching. I find that most preachers get caught doing the things that they preach most passionately against. Because they're driven by shame. So what shame does is it makes you self-righteous. One, what shame also does is, is shame makes you cover up. And the problem with this is that anytime you cover up, it gets worse. Usually, if you're trying to cover up a sin, you've got a sin to cover up the sin. Man, I don't have enough time. Maybe, okay, I'll, I'll do five more minutes. Maybe five more minutes. I'm over time. I really need to speak into this because this is church culture. Church culture has been in, in many ways a shame-driven culture. The only way you can cover up your affair is to lie. So you lie. Because the only way you cover up is to sin. And let's say you got someone pregnant having the affair. I'm just using an affair as an example. You got them pregnant as a result of the affair, but you got to cover that up too. That justifies an abortion. And then, you know, and then, and then, you know, and it goes from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And what you realize is eventually as much as you try to cover up Sin with sin. Sin plus sin equals more sin. Sin plus sin plus sin equals more sin. And the more you cover up and the more you cover up, the more you cover up, the more sin you're piling up. Because sin never takes you to Jesus. Sin just causes you to cover up. So you will lie. You will hate. You will steal. You will kill. You will do whatever you got to do because you got to cover it up. You got to fix it. I'm talking to the person today who's trying to fix the mistake they made. Stop trying to fix it. I'm talking to the person who's trying to fix the sin that they committed. Stop trying to fix it. I'm talking to the person who got that person pregnant, and now the way to fix it is to have an abortion. Stop trying to fix it. Or here's another one, because this is what church folks do, is what church folks do is, is church folks say, well, now that you're pregnant, we should just get married. Marriage does not fix unwanted pregnancy. And marriage does not fix 
a pregnancy out of wedlock. So just because you two got pregnant doesn't mean that the two of you ought to get married. But church culture has been teaching this for so long. Well, now that you guys are pregnant, you guys got to do this right. So get married. No. No. What if he's not the one for you? What if you shouldn't have even been in a relationship with him? What if this was never supposed to be? What if God never wanted him for you? Oh, now that you have a baby, God wants him for you? No. That didn't change. So what do you do? You're trying to fix it when all you need to do is just repent. Oh, you're going to run and get engaged and get married, have this baby, so that way, you know, we can at least make it look right. Shame. Shame is always trying to look good, trying to look right, trying to make it look okay. Sin is sin, family, and there are consequences to it. And if you try to fix your sin, it's going to lead to a bigger problem later on down the line. Yeah, go ahead. Fix your sin today with a marriage. You're going to end up later on down the line with divorce. David is trying to fix his sin. David is trying to fix his sin. David is doing just like Adam did. He's covering up with the fig leaves. He's he sewed up the leaves and he's covering up because that's what shame does. Shame covers up. So Eve covers her parts and David covers his parts. And now, sorry, and Adam covers his parts. So now David's covering his parts. He's trying to cover himself. So what does he do? He commits murder. So first he sexually assaults. He, 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 he forces himself on this woman. He gets her pregnant. Now, how do I fix it? Let me bring Uriah back and see if Uriah will spend some time with her. Maybe, maybe now we can just cover it up that way. I'm getting to my point. I'm, I'm almost done. And, 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 and then he, no, Uriah doesn't go in. Uriah's committed to the battle. So then he sends him back and he says, you know, I'm just going to send him to the front lines and make sure he gets killed. So he assassinates Uriah. So he lies to Uriah. He cheats on a man who trusted him. He, he, a man who was faithful to him, David couldn't even be faithful to that man. And now David has this man killed. Why? To cover up and he thought he got away with it. And Nathan comes in and Nathan exposes him. <sighs> There's anything that you're going to learn today is sin can never be covered up. It always comes back to get you. It always comes back to get you. Always comes back to get you. So how then do you move forward? You must Repent, because here's the thing, there's guilt and there's shame. Shame is how you feel about yourself. Shame is what you want, it to, what you want to believe it is. Guilt is what it actually is. And Nathan comes before him and exposes him. And when he exposes him, boom, David now 
sees his guilt. In verse 13, and this is the beginning of David's breakthrough. The beginning of David's breakthrough is he gets exposed. Then in verse 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He has acknowledged it. Notice, he didn't say I sinned against Uriah. He didn't say I sinned against Bathsheba. He didn't say I sinned against Israel. He said I sinned against the Lord. Because a lot of us, when we think about sin, we only think about it, about how it hurts other people and how it affects other people. But true repentance comes with a sense of guilt to know it ain't about other people. It's about you and your heavenly father. It's about you and God. And you know between you and God, this ain't right. Whether I get caught or not, this ain't right. This ain't right. He didn't say I sinned against your right. I sinned against the Lord. And notice how Nathan responds right away. Nathan says to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. The moment David acknowledges his sin, the Lord takes his sin away. Did y'all catch that? The moment that David acknowledged his sin, the Lord took it away. He put away his sin the moment, the moment that he acknowledged his sin. Oh, the freedom we would experience and encounter if we would just own it. Like if we just own it and say, I did that. I did it. I committed the sin against you, God. Before you and you alone have I sinned. I have sinned against you. Psalm 51, he says, against you. He said, in sin, my mother conceived me. He said, I've sinned against you and against you alone have I sinned. He's not even talking about everybody else. He's talking about the fact that God, I've sinned against you. And the moment he gave God his sin, God took the sin away. This is, this is not, this is not a G, this is speaking to the heart of God. This is not a, just a Jesus thing. We're waiting for Jesus to the end of the text. We're waiting for Jesus in the gospel to say, oh, our sins are forgiven. God was forgiving sins from the gate. God was taking sins away from people from the gate. That's what the book, the book of Leviticus is all about how God was taking sins away from people. He said, come with your sin, come with the sacrifice. We'll wash it in blood and it's gone. I don't, you don't need to worry about it no more. He just wants you to come with the sin. He's saying, come boldly before the throne of grace with the sin. Don't try to cover it up. Stop trying to look good around people. Because have you ever noticed that all, all this trying to fix it and look good around people and trying to cover up your shame and, and making it look good, it's not, it hasn't worked. And it won't work. Because your problem is not with people, your problem is with God. And the moment that you have an issue with God, it translates to an issue with people. And now you're wondering, why can't you keep a good relationship? And you're wondering, why can't you be a good friend? And you're wondering, why can't you get your life together? You're wondering, why can't you establish connections? Why are you having a hard time trusting people? Why is it that you can't be healed? Why is it that your family's all broken? Why is this thing falling apart? It's all falling apart because you never came with your sin. You never owned it. He never came before God and said, God, I did this and against you have I done it. I've sinned against you and against you alone have I sinned. And because of that, it separated you from God. It's created a distance from you and God. And because it created a distance from you and God, it's breaking and fracturing every other relationship in your life. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I'm ranting. I'm ranting. But I want to make sure you're hearing me here. 
This is critical. Because the moment that David reveals his sin to God, God takes the sin away from him. But just because he takes the sin away doesn't mean it doesn't come with consequences. In the few chapters that's to come, we're going to see the consequences. But the sin was removed. Side note, just because God forgives you of your sins doesn't mean you don't pay the consequences for them. Forgiving of the sins is a matter of relationship with God and eternity. The consequences are about the here and now. So when you sin, God's dealing with the eternal part. But the temporal part, the here and now part, yeah, you're going to pay some some consequences for that. So we need to come before God. And we need to come boldly before him because what we see now from here, from this point on, David loses the son. He loses the son. Then he has Solomon. And then I'm done. It's my last point. I finally got to my main point. Give me a second. I finally got to my main point. Come over here, guys. Come over here. My boys are here. We're about to go. Hi. They're getting, they're getting ready. They're getting ready. Okay. All right. Go ahead over there. Let me finish. Let me finish up. Last thing. Some people say, but Pastor Isaac, isn't that a horrible consequence for this son to die? His son has died. That's horrible, Pastor. Like, couldn't God forgive David and allow him to keep his son? David fasted and he prayed. Could, couldn't, couldn't God just, just, just forgive him? I'm going to say something that might bother some people. I don't want to go through this whole deep theological discourse on this. But I want you to think about something. And then we're going to work it out tomorrow. I want you to think about something, family. You understand that the bloodline matters. And the bloodline matters the one thing that could compromise the whole mission of God through David would be a bastard son. I know this is going to make people uncomfortable here. But David may have dodged a bullet because this was never about David. This is about the mission of God through David. This is the part we don't like. Because so what are you saying? So God, so God's gonna kill this child to protect David? No, no, no. God is protecting his mission and his legacy. And it could be that what David was weeping about and the consequence of the sin was actually the part in which God is making things right. I know, I know. I can't. I don't have, I don't have. I, we can work this out. This is this will be a Bible study. I'm just trying to give you the simplest version of it. Is that maybe God was making it all right again? Did you know 
that the consequences of your sin is actually the universe reordering itself. <laughs> Did you know that when you see the pain and suffering that comes from sin, it's the universe attempting to recalibrate to the justice of God. And maybe this particular death, as painful as it was, was necessary for the kingdom of God to come. We'll work that out. Because <laughs> there's so many things to work out from there. But as we close in prayer, I want you to think about this family. What am I covering up? What am I covering up that's keeping me from God? What am I covering up that's keeping me from my relationship with my husband? What am I what am I covering up that's keeping me from my wife? What what am I covering up that's keeping me from my colleagues? What am I covering up that's keeping me from family members? What am I what am I covering up that's causing me to sin even more? What have I covered up? Maybe now I need to just uncover everything. Maybe I need a Nathan in my life to call me out. So let's not cover up. Let's come boldly before God. Father, I thank you for this opportunity you've given us in your word, Father, to come here and to read your word today. And Lord, it's a heavy word, a heavy word. It's a word of conviction, Lord, that we ought not to cover up but to come boldly before the throne of grace. So Father, I just pray that you would be with us, Lord God. Align us to your will, Lord. Allow us to see what you see. Bless us, Father. Lord, guide us. Oh, we need your guidance. We need your grace. We know, Lord, what the scripture is about. This story is about you. Father, make everything we do about you. We say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I want to thank you all. Like I said, this particular reading rant, is going to be available to you. Um, it will be available on Patreon. Um, I may do it this weekend. And then starting on Monday, for all the patrons who are on Patreon, um, the reading rants that we do will be available to you day of. Okay? They'll be available to you day of. Um, but really, it's not really for the content more, more than it is for your support and i truly appreciate that guys we're getting closer and closer to our goal and we're just praying vanessa and i i know vanessa's on here but we have been praying that god would provide for us as we move away from um our other obligations and to focus our time in the ministry of the word uh and so guys pray for us as we engage in that if you can't provide financially just know this this isn't changing i'm not changing any rhythm i'm going to keep doing this because i never did it for the money i never did it for it i never did it for that however being able to get your support is going to allow me to do more it's going to allow me to commit to doing more uh and it's going to allow me to create more and to do more and to impart more on you and to teach more and to do bible studies and maybe go deeper and do deeper dives on these sort of topics and so um that's something that i'll be praying about that i uh you know the lord will guide as far as where we're going to go with our content but i will say this we are uh, i believe now i'm getting notifications that some of you guys are becoming patrons right now that's awesome guys thank you so much i i appreciate you so much for joining um uh, for joining me on patreon